Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to part two of the Carl Pearson experience. Some people have the Jimi Hendrix experience. We're having the Carl Pearson experience here tonight. Uh, We went uh, well over an hour with the politics of coaching, and instead of making one long uh, double album here, we're going to split it up into two separate albums, two separate podcasts, and we are going to talk about his new book, The Other Side of Glory. But before we get into that, uh, again, we want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can give them a call at 402-964-0300, or you can check out their practice at COSACChiro.com. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, if you're listening, you are on iTunes, so be sure to download, rate, review, give the pod five stars so that we can gain momentum in the ratings and help other coaches hone their craft. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Pearson, are you ready for round two? Absolutely. All right. You uh, got some honey tea, uh, ice down the throat there a little <laughs> bit. Uh, hopefully you don't have much planned for class tomorrow. Well, I tell you what, you, you bringing that up reminds me of what I always say. And you would appreciate this as a fellow coach. When we have parent-teacher conferences, a lot of the non-coaching teachers complain, oh, it's such a long day, and we're here until 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Oh. And I always point out, that's every day for a coach. And then I, I always say, we're not digging ditches here. All we have to do is talk to people. Yes. It's not that hard. So I'll, I'll make it. I'm going to be fine. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, uh, we, we've, got, uh, we've got a primary reading in history class tomorrow, and we're talking about polling in government class. Oh, so that's, nice. I love it. So that's what I've got going on. We're, our, our primary reading is about the Potsdam Conference and Harry Truman and his decision to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. So, um, yeah, the kids will, kids will love me for that. They get to sit there and read uh, out of a history book for 45 minutes. So they're going to be really thrilled about that. So, um, so part one of this was uh, Coach Pearson's first book, uh, The Politics of Coaching. And and if you haven't listened to it yet and you've jumped ahead to part two, that's great. Go back and listen to part one. If you listen to part one, uh, you're really lucky. It was great conversation for well over an hour, uh, just about the politics of, of coaching. And uh, you know, we, we just had a great conversation. I, I I had a great time with that, Carl. I hope you did too. So, uh, I did. Uh, but we're gonna jump into. Uh, the new book. But before we get to the new book, we of course have to have the John Wooden quote of the day. So uh, coach, feel free to uh, be ready to comment on this. Um, We had the aforementioned Don Meyer in part one. Uh, For for 100 episodes, we had the Don Meyer quote of the day. Now we've transitioned to the John Wooden quote of the day. And if we get to 200 pods, I'll figure it out. Uh, I'll cross that bridge when we find it. So Uh, The John Wooden quote of the day is, All of life is peaks and valleys. Don't let the peaks get too high and the valleys too low. And I think that's so true with coaching. We get so high 
off of the wins. Uh, we lose a game, and we feel like we're never going to win a game ever again. Um, and I think that's just so apt to and, – and Wooden uses it as a life lesson, but I think with coaching, it's, it's, so, it's so appropriate as well. Don't you think, Coach? Yeah, and actually, as you said, it reminded me of the lyrics to a song by the Eagles – um, there's a song that I think it's called after the thrill is gone, but there's a line and this, this was true of me my last few years of coaching. And I've heard other coaches say this too, that, um, there's a line that it says, you don't care about winning, but you don't want to lose mm-hmm. after the thrill is gone. And, and that was in you know, my last couple of years, that's kind of when we'd get a big win, it didn't Im- it impact me nearly as much as the losses did. Yeah. And and that's something I missed about my younger days of coaching. You'd get so exhilarated with the wins, or getting a, a big upset win, knocking off a ranked team or something. And and that was less and less for me as I got older, and I was just so consumed by the losses. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that doesn't come to anybody listening to this. But when it does, it might be time to step away for a little while and recharge the batteries because you want to you want to feel the exhilaration of the wins. How do how do you? Uh, and and I. I example number one right here the guy you're talking to uh coach i mean that that for sure happened with me and uh i distinctly remember um a game um where we played a rival i had a senior dominated team um and it was a big game for the kids and we won and walking off the court uh i wasn't even I mean, I was happy we won, but I was relieved that we won. But my mind immediately, 10 seconds after the post-game handshakes, I was like, okay, I don't want my kids to overreact to this because there's a good chance we're going to be playing them in districts in two weeks. And I don't want them. And, and, I, and I kind of handled the locker room wrong. Like They really wanted to celebrate and, and go. And, and I, we should have celebrated that because it was the first time we had beaten those guys in probably four years. And... You know, uh, I, I just think back to things like that, little things like that, that led to probably, you know, like you were saying there with that Eagle song, you you, you got to enjoy, you got to enjoy it. You, you got to enjoy and have that joy with everything that you do with this coaching thing, because it is a fleeting thing. Well, and winning is hard. And I think that after a while, especially if we're fortunate enough to, to do it a lot and be successful, we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. And and so, like you said, you, you win this big game, but your mind's already thinking two weeks ahead, and 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 you take it for granted instead of treasuring it. And and hopefully, you know, this can be a quick reminder to coaches: don't don't let that happen to you. Uh, make sure you treasure all the wins because it's hard. It's yeah. hard, whatever level you're at. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, speaking of hard, speaking of difficult, speaking of winning, uh, let's jump into the new book, uh, "The Other Side of Glory." Uh, a team's quest for high school girls basketball history, and uh, you know, I guess you know I don't want to give away uh, as we go through this discussion, Coach. I, I don't want to give away a ton of stuff from the book because I want people to read it for themselves. Uh, Coach was nice enough to send me a copy, and I probably got through it in ten days. I mean, I I I buzzed through it really quick. I don't even know if it took me ten days. It might have only taken me a week. Uh, to get through it. It's a really uh, well-written book. Um, so, you know, as we go through this, and, and if I'll, I'll try to let, if you want to give any spoilers, you can give the spoilers, I guess, Carl. Uh, but 
just kind of give us a, a basic background. I guess, first of all, let's start off with what was the inspiration for writing this particular book and, and the background with this community and, and why this story out of so many stories that you could have told? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've, I've lived in Waconia for 10 years, and, and during that time, I've become very familiar with the numerous near misses that this girls basketball program has experienced over the years. And it's always been a really good program, um, typically ranked in the top 10 in the state in, in their class and um, lots of expectations surrounding the program. But there's always been something that's come up that's kept them from, from getting to the state's biggest stage, the state tournament. And, and they just kind of had this tortured past. And so for years, I'd kind of had this thought in my mind, well, if they ever make it to the state tournament, I, it would make a heck of a story. Uh, and, 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 you know, so I am given this part away. They do make it to the state tournament, uh, but it's the, the book really kind of chronicles the season and the highs and lows. And there are, you know, I think a lot of times people think, well, if you have a state tournament caliber team, it's a cakewalk. The, the season is smooth. Well, it was anything but for, mm-hmm. for this team. And, and I think that's true for a lot of teams. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for those of us that, and for those of us that coach 20 years, we've had 500 teams and probably some sub 500 teams. And we look at those teams that, that reach the, the state's biggest stage and think, Oh man, I just wish that would happen to us. Everything would be so much easier. Rarely is it. In yeah. fact, sometimes it's harder uh, when you have a very talented and very successful team. And and so anyway, this this takes you through, uh, at least in the initial first or chapter or two, some of the background of, of this haunted history that the community and the program have had. And then as you follow them through the season, uh, I think you can kind of feel some of the, the angst and anxiety that starts to build as they get closer to, you know, are, are we going to, are we going to do all this again just to come up short again? Um, but there's, it's a, it's a fun, it was a fun story to tell because uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the kids and the coaches and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did you put it all together? Uh, I was kind of curious as I was reading, uh, you know, did you wait for the whole story to, to play out and then went back and, and wrote it? Or, uh, and I think you kind of said that already, uh, you know, were you embedded? Did you, in, did you attend games uh, while the season was, was progressing, uh, living there in the community? Um, just, just how did you take all of this and put it into this, this volume of writing? Well, I, I did pay attention to the team throughout the season because I knew that they would have a chance to make it. They they were very talented and had high expectations again. Um, But I wasn't taking a lot of notes or attending a lot of games, you know, thinking, well, yeah, I'm going to chronicle the whole season just in case I wasn't going to do all that work. And, and if they come up short again, you know, spend hours and hours of of kind of wasting my time. But um, I did, I, I think I probably attended three games in person. And then um, I was actually at Disney World in Florida with my family the the night they won the section championship to go to the state tournament. Mm-hmm. And I we, we watched the fireworks uh, at uh, Magic Kingdom, and then I threw in the headphones on the bus ride back to the resort, and I listened to the game. Um, the next day as we were flying back to Minnesota, I started sketching out the outline mm-hmm. for the book. And then uh, immediately after the season, I interviewed – all the players and the coaches and um, 
and then that's when I sat down and I watched a lot of the game film. You know, okay. the, the coach gave me access to their huddle account and, and I watched a lot of the games for some of these key moments that the kids had referenced. And, um, and then I'd follow up with more interviews. And, and so that was the, the process, but, uh, they were the, the team and the coaches were obviously very giving because you get to go inside the locker room, uh, to hear what is being said between the coaches and players and on the bus rides and everything in between. And, and so that was, uh, you know, kind of that behind the scenes access that, I was really fortunate to get. Mm-hmm. I, I was just going to, you know, one of you know, my next question, how difficult was it for you uh, to get the players and the coaches to open up to you? Uh, did you feel like you had to pry some information out of the, out of, out of folks from time to time, or was it pretty much that ah, here it is, you know, this is just kind of the, this was my perspective of, of what happened or, you know, what was that process like? Well, I didn't, I wasn't looking to do any like hard hitting journalism or, sure. or expose any scandals or anything. So I didn't really probe the, the players beyond what they were willing to share. Mm-hmm. And some players were willing to share more than others. And, and frankly, those players kind of become main characters as the story unfolds. Um, you know, the, I think the coaching staff was, was pretty open about uh, some things. And so you, you see that played out in, in the book, but um, the, I'll tell you the biggest challenge was COVID hit mm-hmm. um, shortly after the season ended. And so right in the, the, right the state tournament, right in the state tournament. Yeah. 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 And, and so most of the interviews had to be done via email and via text. Um, so there weren't, with the exception of me and the coaching staff, there weren't any real sit down face to face interviews. So if I had a follow up question to ask, it would sometimes take two days for the kid to see the email and respond back. So that was a little cumbersome, but, um, it was, uh, they, again, they were all very giving and, and, and that's what helps make it a colorful and an in-depth story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had kind of, when, when I finished the book, I, I messaged you and we kind of talked about a couple of things. Um, and I think probably for, for me, um, you know, so, the, the 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 whole thing that, like you said this this community and this program had been really snake bit like think of every single way that you can lose a a state ter- a way to get to the state tournament they had basically done it over the previous 10 years or so and uh they they had a new coach coming in uh who was the assistant coach and he's coming into a situation and it was just kind of this perfect storm of just stuff and and as a as a storyteller for you you know you're you're watching this kind of come out and it's like okay uh here's here's the new coach with this with this burden and like you said i think you know it, it was this burden but there was also so many things so many moving pieces going on uh for coach uh niebauer am i saying that right niebauer niebauer yeah. niebauer, niebauer yeah um and I think the hardest thing for me uh, as I was reading this book, because if you coach for any length of time, you've been there and you've done that, was just seeing the struggles that he went through. Um, but it was some of it was kind of within his control, but a lot of it was beyond his control. Um, what you know, what was 
what was that like kind of talking to him after the fact about kind of as we talked about with the wooden quote the peaks and the valleys of of going through this 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 up and down season i mean it was really up and down for these kids with the expectations that they had well like you when when i visited with him i think our initial conversation was about 4 hours long and i came away from that feeling so much sympathy for him and cuz you know i think we we often, again we think Always, uh, you, you took the team to the state tournament for the first time ever in the 45-year history of the program. Uh, everything must be sunshine and lollipops, and it was really the opposite. He oh. he 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 was exhausted oh. at the end of that season, and and was really emotionally beat down mm-hmm. because yes, he had the burden of all those expectations weighing on his shoulders, and 45 years of coming up short, and and he had to deal with that. But he also had to deal with. Uh, a, a veteran group of players coming back that had experienced a lot of success and weren't really interested in listening to a different way of doing things. And it's not like he came in and made wholesale changes, but he wanted to put his stamp on the program. And and there was some resistance to that. Um, he had to change up the lineup here and there, and that upset some parents uh, and some players. And, and so, um, you know, a lot of the things that we all go through as coaches but everything was just a little bit more magnified for him because he was a new coach, because there were the expectations and because there was this long history of, of heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, the, the perfect storm and, and you add into that uh, two of his best players were sophomores that were coming in and taking playing time from juniors and seniors. And if you listen to, to part one of our podcast, um, which you should have by now, but if you didn't, go back and do that. Uh, you know, that had to have caused some consternation, even though uh, one of the kids uh, sounds like she was a, a – she is – I guess she's probably still in high school. Uh, she's a Division One prospect, uh, but she's still taking playing time away uh, from older players. And he had a, a first-year coach with all these expectations with almost – and, and and people don't think this is a problem, but it can be a problem. He had too many players, it sounded like to me. Um, and some of his most talented players were younger players. And you add all of this up, and it just it just sounded like to me as I was reading through it, like I said, uh, it was just, man, that was just a hell of a mixer for him to be thrown into. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a reference to that in the book that, you know, you would think that there's no such thing as too much talent. But in basketball, where we can only put five kids on the floor at a time, and there's a limited amount of minutes to be allocated, uh, there, there can, I mean, it can be problematic when you have too much talent. Now, I know that there's some coach out there of a team that's going to go six and twenty, and they're like, <laughs> "Please give me that problem." Yeah, <laughs> and and I, I mean, I understand that because I've been there too. But uh, I can tell you, and I think a lot of coaches would tell you that the toughest teams, the toughest seasons we have as coaches are when we have a lot of talent. Because, you know, if you have three really good players and then some kind of marginal or role players, it's not hard to keep everybody happy because the marginal and role players usually kind of know they're marginal and role players. But Mm -hmm. when you have seven, I mean, I think this Waconia team probably had seven or eight kids that could have said that they were legitimately going to be starters on every other team in the conference. Mm-hmm. And so when you have three kids sitting on the bench that would be starting anywhere else, it's pretty hard to keep them happy. 
And and that's one of the things that, that Coach Nybauer had to balance throughout the season. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, and again, this is a coaching podcast, and, and that's kind of the big angle that that I looked at the book. That was the lens I was looking uh, through it from. Uh, there was a part, and you talked about it, where most coaches have a honeymoon. And you come into a job, and the honeymoon, you know, sometimes it lasts a year, sometimes it lasts two years, but you do have that honeymoon, you do have that grace period. And um, he, he, you know, you said his lasted all of six weeks. Uh, and then he started hearing the chirping and, and, and got the emails and things like that. And, and one of the things that you referenced in the book was, you know, he had a lot of different ways that he could have handled it. Uh, he could have said something, he could have had a parent meeting, he could have sat down with the players, whatever it may be. Uh, he decided to do nothing. He just kind of wrote it out. Um, did he say anything about that? Did he say, guy, you know, you know, maybe, and, and I know you might be limited by, uh, what you can and can't say and what is, is, you know, considered to be, uh, off the record, uh, things like that, but just, you know, that, that particular situation, um, was, was something that, that kind of jumped out at me as well. Uh, you know, what, what was, you know, what was kind of your perspective on all that stuff? Well, I mean, going back to the first podcast, we didn't talk about this directly, but, um, my recommendation to coaches is is never to ignore those those kind of uh, complaints or concerns that are being expressed by parents because if you don't respond to it, they're going to go up the ladder and talk to administration or school board members or somebody else. And um, and so he he didn't handle it the way I would have necessarily recommended. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if I I'm in a position to say that it worked out for him or it didn't work out for him. Um, but that's how he chose to handle it was to just not respond at all mm-hmm. um now i i would submit that that probably led to more animosity in the stands and growing discord amongst parents but um you know he would know that better than me mm-hmm. uh, that's that's just me kind of speaking from experience and talking to other coaches um but he yeah he, he was in a he was in a, a very difficult position and you talked about his honeymoon being short well here's the other thing that made it really short their non-conference schedule was the toughest in the state. Yeah. I mean, they played, well, I mean, you might be bringing this up later, but amongst the teams they played were the eventual ESPN and USA Today national champions, yeah. uh, Hopkins High School in Minnesota that Paige Beckers played for. Yeah. So the, the team went up against Paige Beckers, and, and that was, you know, I mean, that was their whole first seven or eight games of the season. They're playing that kind of caliber of team, so... As the new guy, he wasn't really set up to succeed when he has that gauntlet of teams he's got to face. Yeah, I I think they went like five and five in December, and with the teams that they played, most teams would be really really happy with being five and five, and yet he had to deal with a a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff from from players. Uh, there was dissension on the team. I don't want to say dissension, but there was grumblings. I guess we, we, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll call it that. Um, and like you said, I mean, they're playing up a class pretty consistently for the whole month of December. And not only were they playing up a class, but they were playing the top dogs uh, mm-hmm. up a class. And and uh, you know, he just, you know, like I said, he just wasn't given a, a lot of grace period to 
find his footing to kind of find his his place as a as a as a head coach of this program and um you know it, it had to be had to be real tough on him well the thing that i give him credit for though is at the very start of the season he tried to kind of lay the groundwork for that and say listen we've got a brutal schedule here at the beginning mm-hmm. and we may not win a ton of games considering you know they were ranked like third in the state in, in their class preseason we're not going to come out and maybe look that way. But the thing that he pointed out, and this is something all coaches deal with and wrestle with, is you know, what kind of a non-conference schedule do you play? Are you looking to play some of the best teams, or are you going to try and pad some wins because they're going to be hard to get during the conference season? Well, their philosophy was, let's go out and play the best, and that'll help prepare us for the postseason. And, which which and it I did. I think it played out that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think... Uh... You you reference there's literally a a chapter in the book uh, three car garages, and and kind of one of the the things that I've heard from other coaches is uh, the the more garages on the houses uh, usually the more stuff you hear from parents, and uh, you know I I think there's probably some truth to that uh, because these are people who are used to being successful uh, a lot of them. Uh, have been financially successful, and if you're financially successful, you're usually used to having things go your way. And when things don't go the way that you imagine, and and a lot of these people are type A, hands-on type of people, uh, you know that can that can make things. You know, there's there's a blessing with it where you have these uh, you have kids that have the opportunities to work with AAU teams and to be able to afford to travel and do some stuff like we talked about in part one. But with that is that elevated expectation of I want that deliverance on the other end of it if I'm doing all these other things. Do you think that, you know, kind of played into the formula as well? Yeah, I've, I've said that for years that I, I think when you get into uh, suburban areas around major metropolitan areas and in, in particular affluent communities, everything you said is, is things that I've been saying for years that when you have these parents that are executives and companies and high achievers, their expectation is that their kids are going to be high achievers too mm-hmm. in whatever endeavor they pursue. And so they're not content to see in their kid being one of the first kids coming in off the bench. Uh, the expectation is, well, my kid's going to be a star. I'm a star. My kid's going to be a star. Um, and, and that does make it a difficult dynamic for coaches in, in those kind of communities. Um, and, and like you said, there's pros and cons because the affluence means you have a lot of resources yeah. that maybe don't exist in other communities. Uh, but there's there's baggage that can come with that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the hardest part about writing, writing the book? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I, I, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I, I didn't find it to be hard. It was kind of a labor of love. Uh-huh. Um, I, and, and it was kind of a blessing because as you know, the whole world was shut down with COVID in uh, March, April, May of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all doing distance learning and, and things like that. So I'm trapped at my house and, <laughs> and, uh, I would have an hour or two every night that I'd come up to our, our office and, and just sit in front of the computer and, and type it out. And, and it was, it was kind of fun uh, for for me to to be able to do that and and relive their season with them now that I've been out of coaching for a couple of years. So Mm -hmm. um, I, I I enjoyed the process actually. Uh, What was the, 
reaction of the players and the families and the coaches and, and all the main, the quote unquote main characters of the book? Did, did they feel like they got a pretty, you know, pretty fair shake? Uh, you know, uh, has, has, has that, has, has that been a positive experience for you? Yeah, to this point it has. And, and I'm, I feel really gratified about that because, um, like you said, there, there was drama during the season. I mean, anybody yeah. that reads it will, will, that'll be revealed it's palpable but, i mean it's yeah. yeah i mean it's it is a it was it was a roller coaster ride it sounds like you know uh, but uh yeah. ultimately i mean i i think all these kids are good kids and i you know I, I wanted to be honest in the portrayal of the season but also you know make sure that people could still root for them mm-hmm. and and i think that you know hopefully that's what comes across and uh you know, I, I, I visited with the parents, I don't know, a couple, three weeks before the, the book came out. And I said, hey, just so you know, if there's ever a moment in the book where your daughter is depicted in a negative light, don't jump to conclusions because usually there's a resolution to it that comes later on in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's kind of a redemption moment or or something like that. And and so, you know, so far, everything's been uh, really positive and, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah. What are some things that coaches can learn from the book from your perspective? Because I, I learned a lot from it. Uh, but from your perspective, uh, why should coaches be reading this book uh, as much as they're reading uh, The Politics of Coaching? Well, I think that there's a, there's a few things that come to mind for me. One of them is this story helps, uh, helps to remind us of the unique power that high school sports has to unite a community. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you just don't get from club sports or AAU where you have kind of this group of mercenaries that come from different communities <laughs> and come together. You're not going to have the whole town shut down and follow them to the AAU state tournament. <laughs> um, you know, and, yeah. and that's, no, that's you're one right. of the unique, it's, it's something that's forgotten about high school sports, mm-hmm. but it's one of those really special qualities about it. And, and I think that, you know, that's something that, I would encourage encourage coaches to take away from this book is just remember the the power that we have as coaches and through our high, our high school sports to unite a community behind a, a common goal and a common mission. And then, um, you know, the, another thing is I hope that players and coaches will read this and realize that every team has obstacles during a season, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't make it. It yeah. doesn't mean you can't reach your goal. Um, because I think a lot of times, especially on the girl side, we hear, well, we don't have good chemistry. And and chemistry gets talked about so much. But uh, there's even great teams that, that are going to the state tournament and, and potentially winning state championships. They have chemistry issues, too. And the thing I would – whenever I would have a player say, well, I, I don't think our chemistry is very good, I would say, well, you don't miss layups because you don't like Becky. Yeah. You know, that's that's not why we were missing layups. It, it, so let's not blame the chemistry thing. I think chemistry matters, but it's it shouldn't ever be an excuse for uh, for not being successful. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, not just for coaches, but I think every reader will be able to relate to somebody in the book. You know, whether it's the, the star player that's seeking a D1 scholarship, there's a kid coming back from an ACL surgery, uh, there's a senior that's been asked to play a reduced role and she's kind of wrestling with that mm-hmm. um the, the the dad making a final trip to the gym with his daughter that was hard uh, that, that was hard season. to read that was yeah that was tough 
Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's, there's all these things that I think parents, players, coaches, they can all relate to. And, and I hope that, you know, beyond being kind of taken in by the, the excitement of the story, they also realize, Hey, you know, there's a lot I can relate to here and they find some comfort in it, knowing that it's not just us Mm -hmm. that are going through these things and that, you know, we can do it too. If they can make it through, we can do it too. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what did you learn about coaching as you, as you put this whole thing together? Uh, you, you had this completely neutral, uh, observation point, you're collecting all of this information. What are, you know, let's, let's, let's say, you know, two or three years down the line, you get the itch to come back onto the sidelines coach and, and, you know, what are you going to take from this experience of putting this book together that you would apply to your potential next coaching stop if you decide to jump back into it? I think, um, it would be the the importance of of communi- communicating frequently and honestly with every player on your team, uh, because I think that that was part of some of the issues. It wasn't all of them, but I think it was part of some of the issues that some of the kids that were role players didn't completely understand their role all the time, uh, and and what was expected of them, or they didn't understand why this is my role now when my role used to be something before. Um, and then I, I think a, another reminder is the importance of, of kind of accepting some feedback from your team in terms of practices and, and what they want to see in practice. Cause I think that was another issue that caused mm-hmm. some problems is, you know, there was a certain way that the coaching staff wanted to run practice that was a little bit different from what it had been previously. And, and so one of the things I've always done and I, I've been a head coach at four different schools and every time I would come in and not just say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to change this and this, and this is how we're going to do things. Mm-hmm. One of the first questions I would ask kids is what have you guys done in the past that works that, that we should keep doing? And then what are some of the things that you would like to see changed that we can do better? And when you get that feedback right away, and, and then you kind of build around that. I think that's important because especially in a team that had had some success, if you come in and try and make a whole bunch of wholesale changes, there could be some resistance to that. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that's what coach Nybauer did. I don't think he made wholesale changes, but I also don't know that he reached out and said, all right, what is it that we like that we want to keep? And then, you know, what, what should we work on and, and try and get better at? Mm-hmm. But having those conversations, I think is really important. Yeah. So what's next, Coach? What's what's the next project? What's the next thing in your world that, you know, a year from now I'm going to have to call you back onto the pod? <laughs> well, I don't know if this is going to come to fruition or not, but uh, some of my old high school buddies uh, from Mitchell, South Dakota, they we were, we were in a group text and just kind of throwing out some funny comments and and then it came up well you know we we played in the corn palace that's where our games were played we didn't play in a high school gym we mm-hmm. played in the world's only corn palace and so um you know the joke was well the next book should be if these ears could talk <laughs> because the corn palace is adorned with ears of corn uh-huh. you got all these different colored ears of corn on there and and just stories uh from from that hollow place uh, with all the championship banners hanging in it. And so that would be very local, right? Mm-hmm. It would be something that would be 
popular in Mitchell and maybe in parts of South Dakota. Yeah. It would not extend into Nebraska. But, uh, you know, after I wrote my first book, people said, are you going to write a second one? And I said, no, I put everything I know in that one book. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, so I, I think it's pretty unlikely that I write a third. But um, now I'll, I'll never say never. Yeah. Because I didn't think I would write a second well, it's it's two completely different types of books, though. Too, uh, I, I think you took a with the with the politics one. It was it was hey, here's all the lessons I've learned, and and with the with the uh, the other side of glory, you're you're just telling a story. Uh, you, you're just you know you're just you're just telling a story of 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 this team of this group and and their experiences, and it's it's really really well done, Carl. I I, I tell you, I was. I was really excited to to read it, and when you reached out to me, and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think it's, uh, like I said, I think it's, I, I think we're both in agreement that uh, the biggest lesson for any coach that's uh, listening to this, I think you should get this book just to see another team in action and see the ups and downs that they go through. Um, one of the best things that I got out of my uh, two years off from coaching was just spending time with other coaches and seeing, okay, yeah, you are going, you know, I went through this at my previous job and now I see you going through this. Oh, maybe I wasn't as on an Island as I thought I was that, you know, even though you guys were kicking the snot out of us or we were kicking the snot out of you, um, you were, you were dealing with a lot of the same issues that we were dealing with. And I think that's, one of the the great things that that I think any coach would appreciate from from the other side of glory is is that lesson in the end of things. Well, no, I'll tell you one other thing that I hope comes about as a result of it. Um, I didn't do this every year that I coached, but I'd say maybe every five or six years, I would find a book and I'd say, you know what, this would be good for our whole team to read. Mm-hmm. And and then we would read it over the course of the summer and and at a couple different junctures in the summer, talk about all right. What are some takeaways from this and and how can this apply to us? And and so I, I hope that that's something that, that coaches will do is is they'll take a look at it and say, you know, there's benefit in, in having every player on our varsity team or every player in our program read this so they know the struggles that everybody goes through and, and how you can come through it and, mm-hmm. and and the power of persistence and all those kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where are some of the folks or where are the places that uh... – uh, folks can pick up uh, both books. The, the Politics of Coaching, that, that one's just a Amazon search. Is The Other Side of Glory, is that on Amazon as well? Uh, what other sites What yeah. other sites do you have that available at? Well, the, the Other Side of Glory is available just about, I mean, as the saying goes, anywhere books are sold. Um, so you can, I mean, if, if you got gift cards for Christmas to Barnes & Noble or, or Target or Walmart, I mean, it's available on all those websites, Um the, the publisher Triumph Books, it's triumphbooks.com. They specialize in sports books. Um, usually they have some sort of discount going if you go on their website. But um, yeah, any of those places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can find it there. Perfect, perfect. Carl Pearson, uh, author, Minnesotan, native South Dakotan, 
Uh, I've actually played, I coached in a couple of games up at the Corn Palace when I was in college and, and coached in small college ball. We played Dakota Wesleyan up there. I was a, I was a Briarcliff grad. Uh, so uh, we made that journey to Mitchell numerous times. So uh, it's just been great. We've, we've been uh, messaging each other back and forth and it's, it's just been an awesome couple hours here. Uh, just, just going through both of these books and, and sharing your experiences and, and helping out other coaches. And, and I know, uh, Coaches are going to get great things out of out of our conversation here tonight. Well, I appreciate the chance to be on with you. And on behalf of coaches everywhere, I want to say how much I appreciate you having the podcast and, and your Twitter account and, and just all the things that you're sharing with coaches. Because, well, you know, maybe not every drill you put up there, every coach is going to use. It's, it, it's still nice to have them up there every day. And then you can kind of kick it around and say, well, this one will work for us. This one may not, mm-hmm. but what a resource. And, and, and we just, I think on behalf of every coach, I can say we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honored. Uh, this it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a great experience and uh, you know, coming from a guy like you coach uh, that, that means a lot uh, that thank you so much for that. I really appreciate those, those kind, kind words. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, if you could hold the line a second, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the, the two parter here. So uh, Carl Pearson, uh, author of the other side of glory, uh, a team's quest for high school girls, basketball, history it's a great read i encourage you to order it make a great christmas gift tell your tell your husband or tell your wife to order this book for me it's a great stocking stuffer uh pick it up uh as as coach said wherever books are sold uh again we want to thank cosac chiropractic for once again sponsoring the pod uh follow us on twitter at a pen and a napkin download rate and review this podcast get the word out here uh oh Coach, I forgot. Uh, social media, any anywhere coaches or folks can can find you on social media. I totally I totally blanked at the end of there. Oh, that's so. that's fine. Uh, my Twitter account is at Carl J Pearson, and it's P I E R S O N. Um, there's a funny story why I have to include my middle initial on the book and, and on this, but it's actually probably not appropriate for this podcast, and and. We're, you know, too long to tell, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> okay, well, we'll wait till we're off air, and then it'll be our little secret. How about that? Yeah. So, uh, right. uh, like I said, uh, follow Coach there. He's got some good stuff uh, on his uh, Twitter handle as well. Uh, email me any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas. A pen and a napkin at gmail.com. My name is Marty Plum. It has been a privilege to spend over two hours this evening with Carl J. Pearson uh, <laughs> from, from Suburban. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time. <laughs>